Good morning. It is Monday, August 9th, and this is the Commuter Devotional. My name is Chuck, and I'm so glad that you have decided to join us today as we seek to engage our God in scripture and prayer before the busyness of our day begins. Today, we start a new series. We just finished the book of James, and after a few weeks in that book, we got a lot of practical help from it. Doing devotions for that book was pretty easy because almost every day, James gave us something to really mull over and think about and meditate on. And now we're going to start doing something a little different. We're going to do devotions in the Old Testament. I asked you guys about some suggestions of where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do devotions in in the Old Testament. We've got a couple of different requests to do um, books from the Minor Prophets. So the Minor Prophets are a group of books of the Bible at the end of the Old Testament that seem kind of like flyover books, books that we just don't spend a lot of time in, don't seem to have a lot of practical application for our modern situation. And so in a lot of people's Bibles, they're books that people don't even know exist. And there's very few who would say that books like Nahum are their favorite book of the Bible. But we're going to spend some time for a little while here in a series of books from the Minor Prophets. We're going to do Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and we are going to add in Haggai since it's so short. We'll just do these five books back to back to back to back to back. And starting today, we'll be in the book of Micah. Of these five books, Micah is the longest at seven chapters. And we're going to start today just getting ourselves ready to dive into this Old Testament world. So let me read our passage for us. I'll pray, and then we'll dive right into it. This is Micah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. In the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, as we now jump into the Old Testament, to all the minor prophet books that point forward, forward, forward to Jesus is coming. Lord, won't you help us get our minds ready and our hearts ready to hear your word and to think about how we can grow to love you more from these little books of the Bible. God help us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my friends, I think what would be best for us today is just to spend some time, like we've done before, getting ourselves ready to read these minor prophet books. We're dropping into a part of the Bible that, it's true, is just not read that much. And so maybe we're a little bit fuzzy about Old Testament history. What's the story so far? How does Micah and all these other books fit into that story? So kind of what I want to do today is just think about where we are in the Old Testament story arc, and then try to place Micah in that so that when we jump into Micah's actual prophecy starting tomorrow, we know what we're looking at. So. What is the story of the Old Testament? Here's the most flyover, shortened version, leaving out tons of details that you've ever heard. So basically, it starts with Adam and Eve. We know that story. God created the world. Sin came into the world. And right away, God says that there's going to be a way, that there's going to be a seed of man that comes from Eve that will redeem all of creation. And we know that to be Jesus Christ. As we move through the book of Genesis, we come to a man named Abraham, and God reveals his plan to Abraham that it's through this man that he'll make a people for himself, and they'll be his people, and he will be their God, and he will make them as numerous as the sands on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. And so, skipping several generations, these people from Abraham start to form and become the people 
of God growing in number. They're eventually taken as slaves by the Egyptians and freed after Moses leads them into the promised land with the help of Joshua. Once they're in the promised land and they take possession of this land that God had promised to them, they now have to figure out how to rule themselves. God's plan is that he will be their ruler. He will be their king, their God. But these guys want a king. And so rebellion has already begun in the people of God, in this nation of Israel. The first king of the Israelites is Saul, chosen by the Israelites, not because of his godliness or his adherence to all the laws of God, but because he's tall or taller than most of the men in Israel. He's strong. He looks like a king. But this is not God's king. The man that comes after Saul is the one who God actually called the greatest king of Israel ever, and that would be David. After David comes his son Solomon, and Solomon is both good and bad, but at the end of his life, he starts to turn towards some evil things, and Solomon has two sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And these two, and it's because of these two that the nation of Israel splits in two. Rehoboam is such an evil and wicked king that a huge chunk of the tribes of Israel want to break off and form their own nation, and so they choose the other son of Solomon, Jeroboam, to become their own nation of Judah. And so we have the northern kingdom of Israel ruled by Rehoboam, and the southern kingdom of Judah ruled by Jeroboam. These two kingdoms begin to do their own thing, and neither of them really does a great job at following the original law and the covenant that God gave to Abraham and the law that was given to Moses. Israel never does. Once Rehoboam is king of Israel, they really never go back to being a godly nation, following the law and keeping to the covenants. The southern kingdom of Judah does a better job, but not that much better. And so God starts to do something in their history to make them come back to himself. He starts sending all these prophets I mean, literally like a dozen prophets to these countries, trying to get them to return to the old ways, keep the law, keep the covenant. The covenant is so important as we jump into the book of Micah. To understand covenant, we might need to think of it in modern ways, kind of like a contract. There's two parties. They both promise to do something. If either party goes back on their word, well, the covenant is broken and the other party has no obligation to keep their part anymore. Think of it like when you get a mortgage on your house. The bank puts forth its terms. It will loan you the money as long as you pay according to their terms, and you agree to pay, including interest. Once that contract is signed, if either party fails to keep their end of the bargain, well, the contract is over. This is so similar to the covenant that God put forth with Abraham. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. You'll have to follow my law. That's what Israel must do. That's what God's people must do. And on God's side of the bargain, he will be their God. He will protect them. He will make them flourish. He'll give them a land. He'll protect them from enemies. And God does all of these things until the people of God start to rebel and not keep their side of the covenant. So God, in his grace, sends forth prophets just like Micah to get them to come back. It says in verse 1 of Micah, that Micah is a prophet during the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. 
So these are three kings in Judah, the southern kingdom, where Micah is from. He's based out of Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. But in verse 1, it says that he's also a prophet to Samaria, which is the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom. It says he's a prophet during the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Jotham is a pretty good king. He loves God. He obeys God. But he doesn't do much to ensure that the people of God who live in Judah are following the ways of God. They're abounding in idol worship, doing other wicked things. And though the king is godly, he's not a very good king. The next king that's mentioned is King Ahaz. He's wicked. He doesn't do anything good at all. Corruption, wickedness abounds in the people of Judah. And then the third king, Hezekiah, is mostly a good king. He has some bad qualities. He makes some huge mistakes. But not only does he pursue obedience to God, but he also commands that the southern kingdom repent and turn away and destroy all the idols that have crept up across the kingdom. Because Micah is a prophet during the reign of these three kings, we can get a pretty good grasp of when and how long he was a prophet for, which is about 30 to 35 years. He saw it all. And according to the dates that we have for these kings, he saw a huge event. Micah was prophet during 722 BC, which is when the kingdom of Assyria takes over the northern kingdom of Israel. During Micah's ministry, the northern kingdom of Israel is finally destroyed. What we have in these seven chapters is not all of the prophecy of Micah, but what we do have in this book are the words from a prophet who ministered faithfully for a long time before the people of God in their darkest days. My friends, what we'll see in the book of Micah might seem very disconnected from our modern times. But my friends, we are so similar to the people of God. We're going to hear the words of Micah and we're going to think to ourselves, man, these Israelites, this northern kingdom, this southern kingdom, they were all so foolish, so rebellious against God. But my friends, what about us? We're not all that dissimilar to these folks that are prophesied to in this book. So my friends, as we go today and we get ourselves ready to jump into these minor prophets, we got to remember they're not minor because their message is not as good as the big prophets. They're only called the minor prophets because their letters are small. They're short little books. The message of God came powerfully through these men. Micah was a prophet for 30 years. Some of the major prophets weren't prophets for that long. They just have more recorded, more written down. I hope the Lord will get us ready to hear from him in this book of Micah. On Mondays, we always pray for global missions. So let's do that now by praying for the city of Santiago in the country of Chile. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, Lord, as we go today and we go about our week, Lord, we are excited to jump into a new book of the Bible, in a new part of the Bible. It's so cool to see that your word literally stretches thousands of years. You have always been active, God. From creation to our new creation, you are always speaking to us through your word and to your people, calling us, bringing us back, chasing after us, pursuing us, because you love us. Even when you sent prophets to say some really direct and crazy things that just make our jaws hit the floor, you're doing it because you're chasing after your people. God, as we jump into Micah, we ask your help. Lord, these books aren't easy. They're not as practical as books like James. 
So God, let your spirit work creatively in us to help us think through ways that this Old Testament word spoken to a people literally thousands of years ago can be helpful for us today. Lord, we pray for global missions. We know that your story is not just our story. It's a story for all those who turn to you across the globe, across all time. Lord, we're thankful that in the city of Santiago, Chile, there's a group of women who are just meeting together with non-Christians talking about your word, taking them through the very basic and fundamental ideas of our faith. Lord, it's amazing just to see people interested in these old, old ideas, wanting to see how it applies to themselves today. Lord, as these women go through these ideas and open up your Bible before them, God, we ask for fruit. We ask that the light of the gospel will come into dark places and that darkness will not resist it. Lord, we ask you to call your children out of the city of Santiago in Chile. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Go in peace. I will see you tomorrow.